0: Thank you so much, Dan. I want to welcome those who are watching on live stream, both in the fellowship hall and around the country and the world. And we pray that the Holy Spirit meets you where you are, right at your computer screen as you're watching this morning. The very capable tech team this morning have told me not to refer to the day of the week or the weather because it's being recorded. And if I say, for example, it's a beautiful day today, then if it's recorded at a bad day, the other option here, of course, is to just mention everything. So I'm just going to say on this Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday or Sunday, as the sun is shining or as the snow is falling, the tornado is forming on the horizon, we welcome you to this worship service. It's such an honor to be here in this just remarkable church. I know you're a member here and you don't think of yourself that way, but Christ Church is a a legendary church. And uh, to have followed Jim Daly, I was actually at Focus in the Family earlier this summer, and to be following Jim Daly around was, is a fun thing this summer. I do want to say one word about your senior pastor, Dan Meyer. He is not just a great preacher, you know that, and he's a great leader, but he has a gargantuan pastor's heart, and uh, that is something that you just don't find in every pastor. So I just want to thank Dan for his friendship and his pastorate and his mentoring of so many young pastors like myself. Well, I want to begin with a question today. Would you give yourself today an A or a B? Would you give yourself an A in your spiritual life? Maybe you've been reading your Bible a lot. Maybe you are in a small group. You feel like you're really tracking well. Or would you give yourself a B? Would, would you give yourself an A or a B in your professional life or your family life? Maybe you were doing really well. And then your kids went crazy this morning, and now you're getting a B in your family life <laughs> or your professional life. Would, would you give yourself an A or a B? Maybe you're working for an insurance company or a McDonald's, or you work in the city, and, and, and you've done really well lately, or maybe things aren't going so well. Now, full disclosure, I would give myself in my ministry, in my pastorate, a, a B right now. I'd, I am in my B game. And by the way, I should have probably told you this, Dan, before you invited me to speak. You're inviting a B speaker this morning. I knew this when uh, I was, uh, just Dan said that we started, we're starting a new church, so we're moving, and you know what that's like? We're moving from Colorado Springs, and so we had to pack up the house, and then we had to move, get our house on the market, and then 19 hotel rooms, and that we stayed with three or four family members, and we stayed in one Benedictine monastery. I mean, it has been a long summer. And in the midst of this, for whatever reason, I, I decided to agree to speak at a senior, senior citizen center not too long ago. So I was speaking at this uh, senior citizen center, and, and uh, I was talking about the country of Cuba. And, and I don't know why, but I was talking about the country of Cuba, and I said, and now the president or the dictator of the country of Cuba is a man by the name of. Uh, a man by the name of. And then finally, a 98 year old woman raised her hand in the front row, and she said, Fidel Castro. And and I knew that if a 98-year-old woman was finishing my sentence, I'm probably not in my A game right now. (laughs) And then this huge amount of fear came over me. I'm about to start a new church. I need to be 100%. I need to have my A game. But then I heard this voice in my ear, which I think was from God, and it said, Graham, you don't need to be perfect. You don't need to have your A game. You don't need to be 100%. All you need to do is bring what little you have and put it next to what lot I have and see what we can do together for the kingdom of God. Now, what I want to talk about today is the human tendency that all of us have, and Christ followers are the worst, to think that unless we are perfect, unless we are at our A game Unless we're 100% that somehow God is not interested in what we have to offer. And that's not the Christ-following way. We're going to see in our text today, we're going to look at it in a moment, that Jesus may have had a B game too. And that God used that. And we'll look at that. And we're going to talk about that together. Let me just pray with you as we open up our text from Matthew today. And let's listen for God's word in our lives. And would you think about your own life and think about whatever it is in your life that you're withholding from God that you might want to give him, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this beautiful day here in Oak Brook. I thank you for the people who are here. I pray that you'd be with each heart who is watching on screen and who is in this room. And I pray that you would speak into our hearts today and give us the power and the hope to move forward in areas of our lives that we are maybe ashamed of or we think that you can't use. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. So, our text, which is the prescribed text for the morning, is from the book of Matthew. Now, a little background of this text John the Baptist has just died. John the Baptist, the the best friend to the disciples, the cousin of Jesus, the man that Jesus said was the greatest person ever to walk the face of the earth, the mentor to so many people, the great prophet, has died. And he didn't just die. He was killed in in the most ignominious of ways. He was killed by this dictator from the country of Judah by the name of, a a dictator by the name of uh, Herod. Herod, I just wanted to see if you're awake. (laughs) So Herod has killed John the Baptist, and all of the disciples and Jesus have been thrown back. Now, I think we could argue that Jesus, because he is both fully human and fully God, is also in his B game. Now, this requires sophisticated theology, but to understand this, Jesus, fully God, was always omnipotent, always all-powerful, always God, and yet he was also always, always all-human. And we know that humans, when people die, when their best friends die, when their cousins die, they reel back. They're not perfect. They, they have kind of a personal holding-backness, and Jesus has this. Let's open our text now. Let's look at Matthew fourteen thirteen through 21. When Jesus heard what happened, that's the thing that happened to his cousin John, he withdrew. Now, the Greek word for withdraw is the same word you would use if someone slapped you across the face or said something really cruel to you. You would withdraw. Jesus withdrew. This is the part of him who needs to get away. And it's lovely what Matthew says here. He gives this beautiful detail. He withdraws by boat. Now, this may be a sign that Jesus is not into his full godness, if you will, for a moment here. Jesus might have walked on water if he really was in his a-god game, but Jesus goes by boat privately to a solitary place. Now, hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. Now, it's hard to know exactly what this refers to. It could refer to the death of John, and so they want to find out what Jesus is going to do. Maybe he's going to take it to Herod, and the second coming is about to happen. Or maybe they just want some time with Jesus. But hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. Hundreds, thousands, scholars say that ten to 15,000 people came and walked with their, their blind, their lame, their crippled on stretchers, and they took them in the heat of the day to this place where Jesus was. Now, Jesus must have been a little disappointed, I'm thinking, at this moment. I mean, he wants to be by himself. You ever had that feeling before? You really just need some space? And here are 15,000 people that that Jesus needs to minister to. But he ministers to each of them. He has compassion on them. The Bible says that he healed them. It's probably 12 o'clock in the day when he lands. He heals them for seven hours in the middle of the hot sun. As the evening approached, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, the sun is coming down on the Sea of Galilee. The disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Now, if the disciples seem a bit snarky, if they seem a little edgy here, they are. You see, they're also in their B game. This is one of the features Of grief in our lives. Often if we are grieving, we can get a little titchy. We get a little ornery. And the disciples just want some space to themselves. This is our time, Jesus. It's not their time. But what does Jesus say? They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. This is obviously a beautiful parallel to the book of John when Peter is reinstated. Remember, Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. It's a beautiful parallel to that. Well, we only have here five loaves of bread and two fish. In a sense, we only have a B game lunch. I'm staying at the Hyatt McDonald's University over here. We only have a Happy Meal to give to these 15,000 people. But Jesus knows this. He says, bring them here to me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, crowd control, they're angry, they're agitated, they're hungry. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. This is such a beautiful detail. Jesus prays like this with the five loaves and the two fish. He lifts his head to heaven. He takes them and he gave them and gave thanks and broke the loaves. Beautiful parallel to the communion that you and I experience at the table when we have communion. They ate and were satisfied. 15,000 people. The disciples picked up the 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Now, scholars sometimes want to say that this is the 12 tribes of Judah or this is the 12 disciples, but I just like to think there was a lot of food left. But the point here is that God takes a B, a God who, Jesus, fully human, needs some space and does something great in a great miracle. He takes a group of disciples who are in their B game, he takes a small little meal, a B grade meal, and he turns it into a 12 basketful, plentiful, overflowing cup, which is what God does in our lives as well. The number of those who ate, Matthew tells us, were 5,000 men besides women and children. I love what the Gospel of John says in this text. John says that it was a little boy who actually gave up his lunch. and uh, I love Haddon Robinson. He said this about that. He said, you know, sometimes when I study the Bible, I get hung up on details. I know I shouldn't, but I do. Take that incident where Jesus provided supper for 15,000 men, women, and children. John sidetracks me with the detail that it was some nameless youngster who supplied the five rolls and two small fish Jesus used. Frankly, I can't get past that little kid. It was a miracle of sorts, and it wasn't it that that boy hadn't already eaten his lunch? I mean, after all, it was late in the afternoon, and every little boy that I know always eats his lunch when he's hungry. He surrendered this little boy his meal to Andrew, who then sheepishly turned it over to Jesus. Jesus performs the miracle with the fish and the rolls. Don't you identify with that youngster? Any preacher does, right, Dan? Any choir, we can relate to that. Any soloist, Wendell, we can relate to that. Any business person can relate to that. What little we have in our lives we give forward. And nobody would do this if we were sane. But God takes that little bit, says Haddon Robinson. As I enter my pulpit every day, I wonder how can I have what I have prepared feed so many. My best sermons are little more than fish and chips. And at times they're a bit greasy. Only Jesus Christ through his spirit can do that. You have a long history of preachers in this church who are remarkable. Dan Meyer is one of them. De Kreider was another one. And you have remarkable guest speakers come through. But I want to ask you, what was the greatest sermon you've ever heard in your entire life? What's that one sermon that stands out to you? Maybe it was a sermon that your childhood preacher gave you when you were just a little baton board church in the middle of maybe in the Midwest somewhere. But I want to tell you about a sermon that I heard last year on this very weekend in Colorado Springs, which was hands down one of the greatest sermons I ever heard. Now, that's saying something. I, I'm a fourth-generation pastor. You know, my, my dad and my grandfather and my great-grandfather are pastors. I mean, we don't inherit, you know, trust funds in our family. We inherit pulpit robes in the Baird family. It's like a cast in my family. But this last sermon, this last year— was one I will never forget. It was preached by a man named Bob Mitchell. Maybe you remember Bob Mitchell. He was president of Young Life International back in the day. He was also vice president of World Vision. Bob Mitchell was in his 90s when he spoke. Now, I asked Bob to speak for months and year on end, I asked Bob every time I saw him, Bob, would you just come and give a sermon? I mean, we would just love to hear you preach. The church would love to hear it. Bob said, no, I'm too old to preach. I'm not what I used to be. I, I can't do that anymore. I- I- I'm really not an A preacher anymore. Every time I saw Bob, it was the same. No, Graham, seriously, you do not want me to preach. The morning we asked Bob Mitchell to preach. I'll never forget, we were sitting up in thrones up front, but we built a special platform for Bob Mitchell right next to the pulpit because we were worried he may not make it into the pulpit. And, and so he had a ramp to walk up, but even as he got up and as he walked up to the pulpit, he started to sway. And I did wonder to myself, maybe this wasn't such a good idea to ask Bob to preach on this day. As he got into the pulpit, I mean, I wondered whether he might tip backwards or, and, and I worried about him. But then he opened his mouth, and I just want to play for you two minutes of that sermon. And as you do, I want you to think about this man who is giving his his B-game to Jesus Christ and what God did with that. And I want you to think about that B-game that you have that you've been holding back from God and see what God might want to do with that. Let's listen.
1: It's a wonderful privilege for me to be standing here this morning. As the years go by, it's just a privilege to be standing almost anywhere. <laughs> I love this church. I first came here right out of college and a bit of grad school Dr. Howard Hansen was pastor then and he invited Young Life to come to Colorado Springs to work with kids in Colorado Springs High School which is now Palmer High I was the one who came to do that 63 years ago I think, oh. I think the Bible was just being translated. (laughs) It was also my privilege later to start and to teach a new class called Pathfinders, which I loved. Some of you are still here. (laughs) You haven't gotten very far, have you? (laughs) Um, I'd like to ask, please, if you would bow with me in prayer. Holy Spirit. Open the eyes and ears of our heart that we may listen to all you wish to teach us. Please, dear Lord, amen.
0: And with that, Bob sat down and I've never heard a sermon like it. So Jesus was able to bring what little he had on that particular day in grieving and God did great things with it. The disciples were able to bring what they have and God did great things with that a little boy brought a little lunch and God did great things with that so let me just ask you can God use your b-game I love there's a gym near our house that has a bunch of posters on the wall and the posters all read what's your excuse there's a little guy on stilts who doesn't have legs who's running down the track and what's your excuse there's a kid who is in a wheelchair and he's going through the snow as he's working out. And it says, what's your excuse? Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we might say that we actually do have some pretty good excuses. I mean, maybe we just don't have any time to put forward anything for God. I mean, I know many of you get on the train at five in the morning here at the stand in Hinsdale. And then you go out to work and you get back at 9 p.m. And you just, you don't have any time. And so what you're saying is, you know, when I get a little more time, I'm going to give that little bit more time to God, but I I don't have any time right now. Or maybe you are in the midst of grief. Maybe somebody that you know, maybe a loved one, a husband or a wife or a dad or mom passed away and you just haven't been yourself for a while. So you're saying, I need to pull myself together before God can use me. And then I'm going to volunteer for the Usher program or the children's ministries. Or maybe you've got a health malady, you wake up in the morning and there's a leg that doesn't work as well as it used to, or your mind isn't as cognitive as it used to be, and you say, you know, I'm going to let those kids down there at Christ Church get involved. I mean, they don't need me. I I can't put forward that. Or maybe you are saying in your offering, you're saying, you know, I know there's a lot of big givers there at Christ Church or whatever church you worship at. And so I'm going to let the big givers pay for the bills down there. I mean, my little bit's not going to make any difference down there. Or maybe you're a perfectionist. You know, you just can't bear putting forward anything that you think is nothing but perfect. And so wait till it's perfect. And then you're going to give something to God. My wife ran the Lakeshore Marathon a couple years ago here in Chicago and a very hard race, but she has all these friends who, who told her, you know, I, I don't run races anymore. I just don't run the way I used to run. I have friends who are opera singers, Wendell, I loved your solo here today, but I have friends who say, you know, I don't sing anymore. Yeah, you know, My voice is just not what it used to be, so I'm just not even going to sing anymore. I, I don't know what your excuse is. But let me just offer three things before I sit down that might help you with with putting forward whatever little bit you're holding back from God. The first thing is this. Very often, God can do more with our B game than he can with our A game. Now, the great text here, the great person here is, of course, the Apostle Paul. We know that Paul had a really tough ministry. I mean, he was stoned and beaten in some of the towns that he ministered in. Paul was... uh, thrown out of some towns. He was put in jail in certain other towns. We don't know exactly what happened, but towards the end of his life, Paul developed what he called a thorn. Now, scholars are divided about what the thorn really was. Was it, a, was it glaucoma? Some, said, some scholars said. Or is it something else, like a psychological uh, problem or an emotional problem or a spiritual problem? We don't know, but we know that at some level, Paul was in his B game. But you know what Paul said about that? I thank God for that thorn. And then he went on to say, the reason is because God's power is made perfect through my weakness. If you will, God's A game is made perfect through my B game. Now, I've been to seminary at Princeton with Dan, and uh, not at the same time as Dan, but I was with Princeton, and I'm working on another degree, and you can talk to scholars about exactly how it is that God's A game works through our B game, is made perfect, but we know that there is a miracle of God that happens. It's a sense of revealing what it is that we have, which is less than that to God. I talked to a fundraiser the other day, Navigator Fundraiser, who said to me, "You know, I just raised a million dollars for kids to be able to go to camps for the next 10 to 20 years in the United States. I said, wow, tell me about how did you raise a million dollars? I said, was that just the best talk you ever gave? He said, it was the worst talk I ever gave. When I sat down, people were laughing at me. I was sweating. I was sure I was going to lose my job as a development officer. A woman came up to me and said, that really was pretty bad. <laughs> but here's a million dollars. I love what you're doing. God can do so much more often through our B game." I know this is Bulls territory, the Chicago Bulls. I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, and back in the day, you remember, it was the Utah Jazz and the Chicago Bulls, and you guys always won. But I'll never forget, there was a player by the name of Carl Malone that all of you love to detest, I know. But Carl Malone was a great power forward. And the thing was, he was so muscular and active at the beginning of his, his game. Towards the end of his game, though, he became better. He became a much better basketball player. He actually got the MVP when he got older, and people asked him, How is it that that happened? And Carl Malone said, I, I made better choices. We might say that God used his B game. So that's number one God can often do more with your B game. Number two, our A game really wasn't all that good in the first place. This is the hard part. Now, we think our A game is just that great. But even if we're good at one particular thing, we're not good at everything. I mean, maybe you're a really good professional, but when it comes to being a dad, you're maybe not the best. Or maybe you're a really good family person, but when it comes to your spiritual life, it it isn't exactly the best. We can't be good at all things. I love the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, obey the commandments. You know what they are. And the man then places an A-plus paper in front of Jesus and says, I've done that. You see, I got an A-plus on all the commandments. But Jesus somehow knows that he doesn't get on an A-plus on all of them. There's one that he's missing, and that's following. Do you know what it takes to follow? It takes a recognition that our A-game isn't good enough. And so Jesus says, leave all your earthly possessions and come and follow me. Now, this is a man who had gotten an A game in his professional life too. He's a multi-multi-millionaire. But Jesus knows that he can't follow in that B game thing. You know what's amazing about people who are in their A game? It's not good enough for them either. I was reading an article about Lance Armstrong, the, the great cyclist who won seven Tour de France's. And many people tell me that actually he would have won those Tour de France even if he wasn't on performance enhancing drugs. He was just that good of a cyclist. But somehow, for Lance Armstrong, being the best that there ever was wasn't even good enough. So he tried to be better. But now he's been stripped of all of his medals. He uh, is no longer leading Life Strong, Live Strong, the Cancer Foundation. He's in his B game. But do you know what he's doing every single morning? He wakes up, and there are no cameras. There's no audience. There's no one saying, Lance, run for governor. He gets on his computer, and he types emails to kids who are dying of cancer. And he says, dear Johnny, I want you to know that I'm thinking of you, and I know you're going to make it through this. Yours truly, Lance. God can use our B game, and our A game wasn't all that good in the first place the last thing i just want to leave with you today is god's entire history and life in our lives and in the history of the faith is about using bee people to do great things for the kingdom this is a book that we could rename the book of bee people abraham he was a scoundrel he was a bee person of anything and yet god blessed him and wanted to do something great and made him a father of all nations Moses, He was up on the mountain. He had a stutter. He was a convicted felon. He was a Frady cat. He was in his 80s. He didn't even have his own career. But God used that B game to lead a million plus people to freedom. Every single miracle in the New Testament is about how God brings his A game and requests just a little B game out of people. When Jesus comes to the man who's, who's been at the well for 40 years and he says, do you Do you want to be made well and the man says yes that's the little bit he gives to god and god says get up and he gets up he gives his bee life to god and god helps him to walk and the woman at the well the woman who had been going to the well every single day to get water and she pulled her bee water out of the well and she gave it to jesus and he said i I am here for living water a water And her life was transformed. All the miracles, even the cross. And Jesus hung up on the cross with a life that had been lived perfectly. And he looked down the world and he said, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And what did he ask of us? That we give our be faith to God. Now Luther really struggled with this. How can a bee face get us anywhere? This was but his whole struggle was. How can we be saved through a bee face? Luther, who tried so hard to be a, a, an exceptional perfectionist, but he realized that we can only be saved through grace. And grace can only come to us when we say, Lord, I've been trying as hard as I can, but this is all I have. I was talking to Dan and Amy, and they told me that this last winter was extremely hard here in Chicago. And I'm sorry, I want you to know that. And I'm in Camarillo, you, you can come visit whenever you want, it's not that far away. I went to a college in Minnesota, and so I sort of remember some of those winters. But I also remember them being beautiful. And there was a hymn that we used to sing at Christmas time. that's one of my favorite hymns. It's called, In the Bleak Midwinter. Now, I used to be kind of an A singer, but I'm not anymore. But I thought I would just hum a few lines of this song. Because it's about a peasant who gives his entire heart to God. Angels and archangels have given Jesus Christ glory. Even the shepherds had a lamb to give. But this poor peasant didn't have anything to give. The end of that song is beautiful. It goes... What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? Guess I'll give my heart. Would you give God your B heart today? Would you pray with me? And God, I thank you. Thank you for your perfection. Thank you that you're a God of grace who reigns down into our lives. We confess to you, Lord, that we have kept things back from you, that we feel are not good enough for you or we don't think can be used. We don't think there's really any value to them or things that we used to be good at that now we say, I'm not going to do that anymore because I'm just not good enough. I pray, Lord, that you would help each person watching today on live stream and every person here in the sanctuary and in the fellowship hall to reach deep into our lives and give you our all and see what you will do with it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.